welcome to the Tennessee on Supply Chain Management podcast. Listen in as co-hosts Ted Stank and Tom Goldsby take a leap onto the ships of supply chain, crowd surf into the long lines of meeting holiday demand, and wade into the depths of warehouse inventory buildup. They'll cover all the relevant and current topics blocking the canal of your minds and discuss industry issues that keep you up at night. If you enjoy the show, download and subscribe to Tennessee on Supply Chain Management, wherever you listen to podcasts. Without further ado, let's begin our show, where you'll hear what you'd least expect from the people you want to hear it from the most. Our co-hosts, Ted and Tom. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tennessee on Supply Chain Management podcast. I'm your co-host, Tom Goldsby. Coming to you from beautiful, sunny, and very hot Knoxville, Tennessee, and pleased to be joined by a, a guest co-host today. It's Dr. Shay Scott. Welcome, Shay. Tom, great to be here. You know, I've been angling to figure out how to get on this podcast ever since its inception. I don't know what I've done in order to uh, to be granted that privilege. Well, you've done a lot, and we're thrilled to have you on the program. It's been long overdue, perhaps, and. You know, our loyal listeners are wondering, where is Ted Stank? Dr. Stank, where is he? And uh, we are pleased to report that he is recovering from hip replacement surgery that he had just a couple of days ago. I saw some uh, photographic footage that he is up and about, but we felt that we would we'd let him sit out this session. And so we've been trying to figure out whether it's stand-in Shea, step-in Shea, shoe-in Shay servant. And Shay was going to be our guest today. And we just said, hey, why don't you just come in a little bit early and, and join me in co-hosting duties. So our thoughts go out to Ted. Uh, we love you and look forward to having you back in the next podcast. And so pleased to hear that the surgery went well. But, you know, Shay, we should have known, you know, we've been telling him for years that that breakdancing career, it was going to catch up with him. You know, there's only so much popping and locking you can do. And we thought that when Teddy Ted and the Funky Bunch broke up, that he was going to you know, move into other areas, but he just kept at it. And uh, that's where we are. Absolutely. I mean, I remember us being on the street in Shanghai and seeing some, uh, some dancers and Ted, you know, never wanted to shy away from that, uh, that street performance art. He's down going at it with them. And I mean, it eventually catches up with you. I talked with him on text this morning. He said that he had to uh, avail himself of some pain medicine. And I tried to get him to come on as a guest. But he wisely refused that. So. Yeah, probably best to give him a little extra time to recover there. Uh, you know, we try to not engage in much censorship of our program, and it, it might have come into play there a little bit. But, hey, Ted, we're thinking of you. I don't know, Shay, if, if you listen closely, you can kind of hear na 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 And you're a child of the 70s like me, so you know what I'm referring to there in Six Million Dollar Man. But Absolutely. Uh, it's going to be better than ever, I think, when we get him back. But, hey, I should probably give Dr. Shay Scott a little bit better introduction since you're joining us here now for the full podcast. But Dr. Scott is the executive director of our Global Supply Chain Institute here at UT Haslam College of Business. And we'll get a better sense for what Shay does day in and day out, but he's a four-time winner. Uh, you're a four-time graduate of the University of Tennessee. What, you started off in civil engineering, got your BS in that before moving to industrial engineering for an MS and then an MBA and finally the PhD right here in Haslam. And I'm going to want to ask you about what keeps you coming back, one, to UT and also to academia. So just be ready for that a little bit later. But I should also point out that that Shea was recently recognized as a rainmaker by DC Velocity Magazine. 
in that class of 2022. So congratulations on that. And as I said, I was pleased to be one of your co-nominators for that. And I said, Dr. Scott makes it rain here at UT every day. So it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for that, Tom. I really appreciate that recognition. It's an honor to be singled out amongst such a, a great group of previous rainmakers. I always tell people around here that if you visualize our group as a rock band, you've got Ted and Tom out there as the lead singers and the lead guitarist. I'm the band manager. It's off to the side of the stage. They try to keep me behind the curtain most of the time. I got a face for radio. But every once in a while, they let me out, and it's just a thrill and honor to be part of the team here. So happy to join uh, more publicly today and uh, have some fantastic conversation. No shortage of things going on in the supply chain world these days. No, you're absolutely right. So let's go ahead and jump in. But uh, you know, speaking of recognition, I feel compelled to bring up news item that got us all really excited around Rocky Top about a week ago when we learned that Gartner rated us as the number one graduate supply chain program in North America. And Shay, I know you've had a, a very significant hand in getting us to that state. And of course, this follows on to the, the news last month of being the number two undergraduate program. But uh, hey, what did that mean to you personally? I'm just, uh, I'm curious. I know what it meant to our program, but what about you personally? You've been around here for a decade and it's been quite a climb. Absolutely. It has been quite a journey. I mean, we've been number one in our minds for quite a while now, and hopefully in the minds of most of our corporate partners. But it's fantastic to see that external recognition that comes from Gartner. I think it's particularly special because Gartner's methodology that they use to rank has much more relevance to practitioners than all the other rankings. You know, you look at US News, you look at Business Week, most of those rankings really have pretty poor methodologies around particularly specialty programs like supply chain. Gardner goes out and, and first looks at the quality of the curriculum, and then they go out and they actually survey practitioners. They survey leaders, they survey recruiters, and really build this case for which programs are having an impact. And so that's particularly special for us because you know our, our whole mission here, particularly through our Global Supply Chain Institute, is to shape the field of supply chain management for the future. And just to have that recognition is really special. As you said, been on a journey really ever since Gartner started those rankings way back when, about a dozen years ago. And uh, then eventually SCM World was acquired by Gartner and the rankings from SCM World were merged in and the methodology changed. But the first ranking we hung out around number 10 and then pretty quickly made a jump up to two or three. And we've been kind of oscillating between two and three for the better part of the last decade. And so it's great to, to finally break through that ceiling and get the formal number one. Of course, that's not going to change what we're doing. We're still working hard every day to really advance the field through education, through research, through connections and networks. And this just helps us uh, have motivation to keep doing that even more. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you were correct in, in recognizing that it's it's not just what we do here within the halls of, of Stokely Management Center and the Haslam Business Building on campus, but it's those friends of ours that have helped to inspire us and shape our curriculum and our programming. And when you listen to the stakeholders and take it to heart, you often find that there's some good ideas there. And, and I think that's really the product of what we see in these, these rankings going up. So, hey, we'll come back and pick up a little bit more on GSCI business, but let's kind of look at the world 
at large. And uh, as I was about ready to hop on my bike and ride to campus this morning, I saw the news flash that uh, apparently uh, April to June economic numbers came out and suggested a negative number in that second quarter of 2022. And a lot of people, uh, you know, kind of lay people like ourselves uh, in economics will sometimes say, hey, two consecutive quarters of decline, that's a recession. I know there's much more to it, but Shay, what was your reaction? I know you saw that news of a negative 0.9 growth for our economy last quarter. I know that's going to get adjusted, but what was your, uh, yeah. your first reaction? I mean, first reaction, it looks like we are seeing some signs of some slowdown on that demand side, which is, of course, really what we need in order to get inflation under control. To your point, we're going to have some adjustments that happen, but that won't slow down everyone who's writing uh, news articles today, making whatever assertion or point they want to make in order to have that article get the most clicks. And so I think we'll continue to see really kind of uh, dual narratives around whether we are at the, the, the height of this inflationary period and headed back or not. And of course, the demand side is just one part of the puzzle. Uh, we still got those supply side issues. Just happenstance, walked across campus with Don Bruce yesterday, who is the uh, executive director of our Boyd Center for Economic Research. And I assured him that us in supply chain, we are continuing to find as many supply side constraints as we can, and we'll continue to be a thorn in his side for at least the next couple of quarters. He thanked me for that. He's really appreciating all the additional media coverage that he gets as an economist in 2022. Yeah, there's no lack of, of interest, curiosity, and, and like I said, a little bit of a bleeds at leads sort of notion that you find out there. And I wanted to pick up on one point on in terms of, of government overture and also making news late yesterday was the Fed raising prime lending 75 basis points. And that's an effort to tame inflation. A lot of people are now saying, is that too much or is that too little? Is it too late? But uh, certainly a big overture. I think the impressive thing here is if you look at the expectations, really the expectations going into the Fed's meeting yesterday, 75% of people roughly expected that 75 basis point hike. The other 25 expected a full point hike. And so that just shows you the, the level of concern there is over the period that we're in. And so certainly the 75 basis point hike was widely expected, appreciated, and hopefully that's going to help things to moderate. We'll see whether the Fed comes back to their normal 25 point routine here in uh, subsequent meetings or not. But I think we're still in for another uh, six to 18 months of a pretty wild ride. Yeah, and that was uh, Jerome Powell's message yesterday as he made the announcement, went public and said, hey, we're going to be watching how this works. In the next 50, 75 days, we might come up with another hike. And I suspect you're right. It probably won't be another 75 basis points, but you know, more typical quarter or perhaps even a half point. So you have to be seen. Also, uh, a lot of quarterly earnings uh, coming out. And uh, something of a mixed bag of results, you know, if you look across the spectrum, retailers, manufacturers, logistics service providers, the folks that we tend to watch pretty closely. And it seems like revenues by and large are up, but every other line item on the income statements also perhaps up, really challenging some earnings in some cases, but in other instances, some very healthy margins and profits. So what have you seen out there, Shay? 
Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I I think you're spot on. I mean, we're seeing companies that are dealing in many ways with this after effect of the first phase of the pandemic, right? And so buyer behavior is changing and where we were, you know, throwing everything at the wall to see if it's stuck in order to keep those sales up. Seems like that's working. But on the other hand, those costs are catching up with us, particularly as inflation has you know, made that insidious spread throughout pretty much all commodities. And so you know, we're seeing where business models and business strategies have some weaknesses and have some opportunities. But you know, look in particular, you mentioned logistics service providers look at UPS and their report with volumes are down, but they're still doing pretty good and, and being selective about that package volume. And of course, we know that means relationship with Amazon. What are your thoughts about that, Tom? Yeah, you know, ever since Carol Tomei became CEO, she's kind of brought that, let's try to be a more profitable company and not necessarily try to move as many packages as we can run through the system and and then some. And it seems like that selectivity has been paying off pretty big. So, you know, it is intriguing when you see volumes down, but profits up. And that might suggest that, you know, getting a little bit handle on where they're making money and and not making so much money. And that's something I try to teach and preach. You know, some work that we've done in the past has shown that only about 16% of companies understand where they make money, where they lose money on a customer by customer basis, which blows my students away. I think they just assume that we all know at the end of a quarter, it's like, oh, well, this customer did us well. And that customer, yeah, we understand top line, but what's the contribution? And so that's something that, uh, I find it still grossly underappreciated. And maybe Carol's kind of getting a handle on that at UPS. And so that said, the market didn't respond very favorably to it. I think it got beaten up a little bit on, on the volume news. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's this there's this expectation that companies have those basic points of data and basic strategies in place, even to your point, when they don't, whether it's cost to serve or whether it's actually having a business strategy linked with the operations and execution of said strategy. And so when anything leaks out, you know, to the analyst or the market that undermines a company not really having a good handle on it, the market's not going to react favorably because they make assumptions that companies haven't figured out. And of course, those of us that spend lots of time crawling around inside companies of all sizes and shapes and financial performances, we know otherwise. But of course, that You know, again, it's that separation between what is that public narrative versus what's really going on in a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I I got asked, I was doing a a media interview yesterday and was getting asked about some of these earnings. And, you know, I made an observation. I don't know if it's going to appear or not, but I, I thought it was a pretty pointed observation that most CEOs and CFOs and even COOs out there have never taken a logistics class. Right. They've not had the benefit of sitting in front of Dr. Shea Scott and understanding, you know, all those line items in total cost and the income statement as they relate to getting out and serving the market. And, you know, I was making that observation as it related to last mile delivery and how retailers are still very eager to try to provide that great customer experience, but not fully embracing or understanding the costs that are involved and then recognizing also that. So much of that e-commerce retail that goes out the door also comes back in the form of returns, which we've been investigating that in considerable depth here at UT. But I think the reporter was taken a little bit aback by that. And, you know, it's true, though, that very few uh, C-level executives have had the benefit of sitting in a logistics or even a supply chain course for that matter. 
Completely true. Completely true. I think it's also interesting. I was looking, I don't know, it's probably been a month ago or so at some World Economic Forum research that showed that about 90% of CEOs said that their supply chain organizations, their operations organizations aren't positioned to be able to succeed into this future dynamic environment with the way they're set up. But of course, that is not what those same CEOs are telling the street in in quarterly earnings calls, because for obvious reasons, there's a little bit different a spin on that narrative, but it goes to that same point. I think the the trade wars, the pandemic, the demand uncertainty that's come from both of those has really uncovered this truth that having a solid supply chain strategy that fits with your overall business strategy is really a must-have today, and most companies don't have it together. Because it's complex. It spans the whole organization. It's got lots of trade-offs. People have to work together that traditionally haven't worked together. And so we're still at the dawn of, you know, I think new era of of supply chain being um, a primary way that companies succeed or fail. Well, Shay, that I think is a perfect opportunity for us to transition about how we're trying to address that very circumstance here at UT through our Global Supply Chain Institute. And so, I'd like to give you the floor a bit to just maybe level set with our listening audience a bit about what GSCI is, what it does, and and how we're trying to tackle those big issues of you know illuminating supply chain as that great value creation engine for the business and, and the need to have that alignment between business strategy, supply chain strategy, and also a whole host of other needs that we have in the supply chain in order to make sure that that strategy alignment actually yields the benefits we expect, things like talent development, information technology, uh, best practices. So what is it that GSCI does, if you can uh, sum that up for our audience? Absolutely. I think, you know, university programs are a bit of an enigma to, to most. Most of us have an experience with university where we as students came and we sat in, in courses and we learned from great faculty and we had this assumption that the faculty were, were spending the whole day teaching, or maybe they were just teaching a day and they were going and sitting by the lake and smoking cigars the rest of the day or whatever the faculty member did. But really that teaching aspect was the thing that most of us saw front and center. And so when we think about a university program, in particular thinking about the University of Tennessee's program in supply chain management, of course, we have fantastic programs across all level that confer degrees. So if you look at the our undergrad program, we have about 1,500 undergraduate students in supply chain as a major, about another 500 that are minoring in supply chain, studying things like business analytics and information management and finance. And then we have another 500 or so graduate students. And those programs are those traditional kind of university-based programs that operate in the normal university-based structure. We have an academic department of supply chain management where all of us as faculty are housed and, and it looks like the other departments. But for us as a faculty, our DNA really says that business is our laboratory. We cannot teach as effectively as we need to, and we can't learn through what we call doing research, we can't learn without having a really close tie to industry. That's where the innovation's going on. I mean, it's not like we're you know, developing a new vaccine for cancer and we're hiding in our basement lab 
for us to really understand what is the cutting edge of supply chain? Where are the opportunities? We've got to have really tight relationships with industry in order to feed that research and students. And that's where our Global Supply Chain Institute comes in. It's an overlay organization that works with our traditional academic department and some of our college entities, like our college graduate business and executive programs group, to really present a single face as we go out and work with companies and then create this hub where we have practitioners, we have students, and we have faculty all coming together in the same environment, listening, learning, benefiting from each other. And it creates really this virtuous cycle. I mean, as a practitioner, they get the opportunity to come in and, and of course, meet talent, meet early career talent, meet mid-career talent, and then also meet faculty that can shed some light on what other companies are doing in different regions, different businesses, different industries. And then also from a student standpoint, they get to interact with companies, they get to interact with faculty. And then from our standpoint, we get to learn what's going on in the industry and then teach that in our classrooms and that show up in our research. And so GSCI is all about fostering those relationships that create and nurture that hub. And we believe and we've seen that because of the scale we have, we've truly got the opportunity to shape and impact how the field develops. And so it's just a, a really a tremendous honor to facilitate those connections. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just speak personally here for a moment that the, the presence and power of the GSCI was a major force drawing me to UT. I'd been a, uh, an admirer from afar of the program, but then when I got to know more about GSCI and, and again, that virtuous cycle of which you speak, which just, that's entirely consistent. Uh, Ted and I sometimes refer to a paper that we wrote way back in 1998 when I was a doctoral student at Michigan State and Ted was a junior faculty member there. And we wrote a piece, a philosophical piece that thought leadership that we were really looking back way too junior to write, but it was an expression of how we saw the world. And really GSCI is a manifestation of that. It's uh, again, recognizing that we're going to do better teaching, better research if we're informed by industry, if we understand their needs, if we understand their deficiencies, and we go out and try to address those needs that they have. And it's a beautiful thing when it works. And, you know, under the fold of GSCI is also our supply chain form. And maybe you want to speak to that a little bit and what our form looks like. Yeah, I think overall within GSCI, there are a number of programs that people wouldn't naturally think we have because they don't fit into that mold of what we would assume that a university has, which is all around undergraduate and graduate education. So our supply chain forum, we have over 80 companies now that formally partner with us through this forum. And it's really a way to formalize the relationship Oftentimes it's around recruiting, but it's also around learning and networking with other companies. We have two face-to-face -face events a year and then a number of other ways to sort of interact virtually between those. But the idea, again, is that people come together in a hub and, and they can learn best practices that are going on from other companies, sometimes from our faculty. And they can also network with other practitioners and then network with students. You know, the, ta be it, the talent market being what it is, we're no longer in that transactional phase where one can just put out a rec and hire a graduating senior that, that you want of choice into the role. There needs to be a lot more relationship building that, that goes on. But I just, I hark back to something you said a minute ago, Tom, where 
you were talking about the influence that practitioners and companies have on our programming. And I look back over the past decade and I think about how our executive MBA for global supply chain, our fully online MS in supply chain, our online SCM Leadership Academy, our advanced supply chain collaborative, all of those programs were driven through conversation from our advisory board, from our corporate partners who said, we have a need. There's an opportunity. We think you all are positioned to be able to help us with this. What do you think about that? And so for us, we find it, you know, pretty easy. We keep our ear to the ground and we listen and then we have a dose of humility and we go and try to put things together that actually serve and advance the the industry. And you just go down the list of those programs that have been really successful, highly ranked, great student outcomes. It's because we started with uh, expert advice and counsel on what we should go do. Yeah. And you know, it sounds so obvious. I think so many of our listeners are going to be thinking, well, that sounds natural. What makes this so unique and so different? And what makes it so difficult in university environments to live out this vision of industry influence and industry impact that we speak of? And, you know, when I'm presented with that question, you know, it's there's, there's a multitude of answers you could give to it. You know, our preponderance of focus on academic journals that don't always necessarily appreciate that connection of and the impact on industry. And uh, you know, much has been said and written on that, so we can maybe save that for another podcast, but it really is pretty unique. And I think it really does help to explain uh, the rise in our recognition that you've, you spoke of over the course of a decade. And you know, truth be told, it's been more than a decade in the making. This program's over 40 years old, right? And so it's been a, a long time, but I think it's really embracing that philosophy and saying, hey, we're going to put our faith in this this model and we'll see where it takes us. And I think it's finally getting its recognition. But hey, that speaks of maybe where we've been and maybe to the extent where we are. Let's let's use just a couple of minutes here for you to talk about where you think GSCI, where you think academia, where you think the industry, for that matter, is going and how we can all work together more cohesively and effectively. We've been preaching for years, how important talent is. And I think companies understood that, but it wasn't the thing on the front burner because ultimately they could go out and find talent. But when you put together the situation that's happened the last couple of years, where we have rapidly changing external environment, we have rapidly developing supply chain strategies that have all created this shortage of supply chain talent, it's become the central issue for most leaders. We talk to CSCOs, COOs, CEOs all the time. And inevitably, that's what they want to talk about first. Is It makes sense. It doesn't matter whether you have a good strategy or not if you don't have the people that can actually execute it. And so, you know, so for us, in many ways is refreshing to some degree that companies now, and particularly above the supply chain organization, it's the C-suite, the CFO in many cases, and the boards that are understanding, we've got to invest in talent. We've got to invest in having a talent strategy that's going to help develop and retain the people we have, because we can't just go out and find an unlimited supply of new ones. And for us, that presents just tremendous opportunities for our Global Supply Chain Institute. You know, whether it's through 
those degree programs that we've already spoken about, or whether it's through our substantial work directly with companies. You know, a program that we relaunched here last year is our SCM Leadership Academy, which is an online experience that's 14 weeks long. And it really aims to take someone that's at a manager or senior manager level in, in an organization and help them get a much more robust, articulate view of what's going on and how they need to pilot their organizations in this environment. And you can do that online. You can do that for a relatively nominal cost. Those just become no-brainer type decisions for companies. And therefore, we've seen just a tremendous amount of response. We think that's going to that's gonna continue. You know, we are busy kind of rolling out, in addition to that Leadership Academy, more specific looks at uh, different areas, including finance, including IT, uh, planning, of course, has come to the forefront, and that deserves its own uh, its own episode too, right? Uh, where we just planning in this dynamic environment is is much more difficult, and so for us, we are continuing to build upon the things that we've done, but we're doing so. We're I guess we're having to do quite a bit less convincing of corporate partners that these are things that are worth spending precious time, precious resources on. And, and, and even during, you know, potentially a recessionary period, you know, investments in talent are A, required, but B, they have good payoff. They have quick payoff in today's environment. And that is a little bit of a different mindset than the traditional CFO has taken as we look back in the past. Yeah, well said. And uh, as, as you indicate, you know, we're, we're going to be here to to be ready to be uh, an active partner with those that uh, that want to to make these overtures and, and stake a claim on supply chain as a source of competitive advantage. So folks might be wondering how they can reach out to you, Dr. Scott, and uh, that can be achieved actually in the same way that you would reach out to Ted and me through the Tennessee on Supply Chain Management broadcast. That's at gsci at utk.edu. And I wouldn't be surprised some folks are, are curious about how they can, uh, can kind of jump on the train. And that said, Shay, any closing thoughts or comments before we uh, we push off here? I got to get back to the lake in my cigar, you know? I hear you. I hear you. No, I just thank you again for letting me come out from behind the curtain and join you. I may have to, I don't know, I may have to like crash Ted's bike or, or do something like that to put him out of commission for another future podcast. This has been fun. Hopefully, as you can tell, our, our overall team around here loves we love learning. We love having an impact. We love having fun. And so uh, hopefully you'll uh, have the chance to continue to, to listen and join along with uh, Ted and Tom on future episodes. Well, absolutely. And Shay, thank you very much for your support of the podcast. This, like so many other things that you do around Haslam for our programs to make these opportunities possible for us. And let's just uh, close out by, again, wishing our, our friend, colleague, Ted, a healthy recovery from that hip replacement. He promises to be right back with us on the next podcast. And Shay, we know we're going to have you back real soon. You might uh, be able to live in, up to that step in Shay, shoe in Shay. <laughs> we'll figure out a name between now and the next broadcast. But thank you so much for spending your time with us out of your Super, super busy schedule this summer to uh, illuminate uh, how you see the world. So with that, we'll close out again. Just uh, thanks for listening. And if you've got any comments, questions, send them to us at gsci at utk.edu. We'll catch you next time. 
listening to Tennessee on Supply Chain Management. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe via your favorite listening platform, such as iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear from our listeners. Leave a reply in our show notes at gscipodcast.com or email your questions to gsci at utk.edu. Join us next time in our pursuit to prove that supply chain management is more fun than you think. 